I'm sure that's never happened in any family that's represented this morning. (laughs) When God tells us to do something, do we listen to Him and do we obey Him? When the Lord tells us to do something, do we listen to Him and do we obey Him? What God asks of us is nothing short of total obedience. And that obedience is for our good and even more for His glory. But so often when we, if we're not careful, what we want to give God is partial obedience. Lord, I'll do this and part of what you're asking me. Or Lord, I'll, I will do it, but not today. But God is calling for total obedience and He's calling for total obedience to what He instructs us to do today. And whenever we get into this mindset where we say to the Lord and we say to ourselves even more and to other people, I know what the Bible says, but I know what the Bible says, but everything that follows that conjunction is what gets us in trouble. And everything that follows that conjunction of but, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do whatever is our way of saying I don't really trust the Lord with what He's asking me to do. His provision, His guidance, and His power. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because we're going to look at a guy by the name of Saul who had an obedience problem. And he got him in a lot of trouble. In fact, he forfeited and lost what God had for him because of his obedience problem. As you turn there... Saul is facing a group of people who were called the Amalekites. Now, the Israelites, and Saul was the king of Israel, the Israelites had a long, bad history with the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. And Jacob and Esau had not gotten gotten along well together as brothers, and their descendants, it just got worse and worse as time went by. When the Jews escaped from Egypt... They were on their way to the promised land, and the Amalekites launched a surprise and vicious attack upon the Israelites. They were totally unprepared for the attack, killed a lot of Israelites, and that really set up the difficulties and the despiction that went on. Now, God was so enraged with what the Amalekites did with the Israelites that He promised that He would judge them essentially for the rest of their existence. The Amalekites lived in what today is the Negev Desert, which was next to Israel. So they were the next door neighbors to Israel. And God's command to Saul is for him to go and to wipe out the Amalekites completely. And that's for two reasons. One is because of the constant threat that they posed to Israel and for the potential that the Amalekites had to be more problems to Israel. The second reason he told them to do that, to wipe them out completely, was because the Israelites had a bad habit of when they didn't take care of all of the problem God told them to, then they would begin to import the problems of the people that they were next to. And so in other words, he knew that if they did not wipe out all the Amalekites, they were going to start worshiping the idols of the Amalekites. They would start taking on the customs and traditions of the Amalekites. And little by little, the Amalekites were going to corrupt them and mess up their relationship with God. So we join the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, 
The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Key verb there, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Tileam, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and Worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgog. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep, and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, you are, not the head of the tri- are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go. Devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the, Am- and devoted the Am- Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice them to the Lord your God in Gilgag. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is, the, is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption or arrogance 
is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has already rejected you from being king. And my sermon outline is containing your bulletin, and I invite you, if you would, to follow along. We need to listen to God. We need to make sure we listen carefully to God. Notice verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. The Hebrew word for listen there means to give careful attention to something. It is the idea of engaging your mind, discerning what's being said to you. It's asking the question, what do I need to do in response to what God just said to me? And so Samuel is, is saying to Saul, Saul, you got to listen to God. And listening to God means more than you just hear his words. It means that you really pay attention, that you process what God is saying in your mind and in your heart. It means that you ask the question, okay, God, you just told me this. What do I need to do? How do I need to implement? How do I need to live out, God, what you just told me? Don't listen that the words follow, just pass over you. And the second idea here of listening is I, first of all, discern what God has said. I look towards obedience of what God has told me. But then I look at the full obedience of what God has told me. See, Saul's problem in this story is that he hears God say something, but he goes out and he does about 50% of what the Lord told him to do. And so often what gets us in trouble, it's not that we are 100% disobedient, it is that we are partially obedient. And that is what Saul's mistake here is he's not listening to God because he's trying to give God half of what God's asking for instead of 100% of what God is asking for. Verse 2, notice how God identifies himself. He says, I am the Lord of hosts. The word, that title for God means one who amasses an army. And God is saying to Saul, Saul, I'm the one who's got the armies of heaven at my disposal. You don't need to be scared of the Amalekites. You don't need to be scared of King Ahab. And you better listen to everything that I'm saying and commanding you to do because I've got this vast army and I can make it happen. And that's who you're supposed to listen to and obey. Now, if you go back in the history of Saul, you discover that Saul has a habit of rebelling. He has a habit of going out and sort of taking matters into his own hands and doing his own thing. God will come to Saul repeatedly in his journey and say, Saul, this is what I want you to do. And Saul listens to it, and then Saul decides he's going to go out and sort of do his own thing and give God about half of what God has. And this is not the first time he has pulled this. Now, what God tells him to do is this. I want you to go and look at the Amalekites. You know what the Amalekites did in wiping out your nation. You know what they carried through on. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to fight them. And when you fight them, I want you to wipe out every last one of them. Don't give them an opportunity to come back on you again in the future. You go out there and you wipe out all of them. Secondly, when you're going to look at their sheep and their oxen and their lambs and all of that. Now this is an agrarian society. And in an agrarian society, your livestock are your livelihood. Your livestock have great value to it. So he says, I want you to go out there and I want you to wipe out all of their livestock. Stock. Now, let me put a modern-day application. It's sort of be like if you went out there and God said, okay, look out there. I want you to see the cars that they're driving. And he started naming off the cars. You know, the Lexus and the, 
Chevrolets and the Cadillacs and the, you know, top-notch trucks, you know, whatever floats your boat. I want you to get rid of all of their vehicles, okay? So he's telling them, I want you to get rid of this stuff that they've got, and I want you to get rid of all of it. And then you're going to have King Ahab you're going to have to deal with. And I want you to wipe out King Ahab because he is the leader. And if you let the leader continue to lead, then you're going to really have trouble. So what does Saul do? Saul goes out there and he wins the battle. And then he sits back and he looks at the spoils of the battle that he just won. And the first thing that he sees is King Agag. Now, we get the impression a little bit from this story as it plays out that this guy was sort of a weasel. In that he really knew how to just sort of talk his way craftily into to staying in the game, so to speak. In fact, when he has his confrontation later in this chapter uh, with Samuel, he really tries to put, on, uh, put it on thick with Samuel. And Samuel doesn't accept it. But King Ahag really seemed to know what he had a, you know, he just had a gift for words. He could talk as smooth as butter. And so he just gets out there and he apparently just put it on Saul and it fed Saul's ego. And so Saul says, well, I'm going to let you live. In disobedience to the Lord, I'm going to let you live. And then he looks around at these sheep and these oxen and so forth, and he notices that these are really good animals. Really good animals. He can do a whole lot with them. And so he decides that he's going to take the best and going to keep them alive, let them live. And so what he's doing is he's just giving God partial obedience all over the place. And then, interestingly enough, as things progress, Saul is really impressed with what he's done and who he is. You ever heard the expression, become a legend in your own mind? Well, that's exactly what happened to Saul. Saul wins this battle, and he saves the king, and he saves the best of the livestock, and he really thinks he's done something great, and he really thinks he's the man. So he goes and he builds a monument to himself so that if people would pass by and they're going to look and they're going to see this monument that he's put up. I don't know if it was a statue of him or what it was, but people pass by and they look at the monument of Saul and they think, man, we really got us a cool king here. Now, you know, in our history, we put up monuments after people were dead to commemorate who they were. So you go to D.C., you're going to see the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Memorial, but they're all memorials because those guys are long gone. But in Saul's case, he decided, why well, wait till I die? I might as well enjoy my own monument right now. So he builds a monument to himself. He is major stuck on himself. Not listening to God, doing his own thing. And Samuel walks up to it. And Samuel says to him, you didn't obey God. And Saul looks at Samuel and he says, what are you talking about? I've done what God told me to do. And Samuel looks back at him and he says, Saul, what is your problem? I can't hardly hear what you're saying because all these sheep are bleating all over the place and oxen are lowing all over the place. You've got these animals. I feel like I'm at a zoo standing here trying to talk to you with all the animals that are going off around you. And you tell me you were obedient when all of your disobedience is literally drowning out your ability to even communicate with me? You're not obedient. All your disobedience is standing around you, you know, 
bleating and carrying on. You've been totally disobedient to me. And I could imagine it probably ticked Samuel off even more. He looked at Dan and sees a Ahab running around in the background, happy as a lark. You've been partially obedient to what God told you to do, Saul. What is your problem? You even put up a monument to commemorate your disobedience. And what does Saul do? He does what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, and we human beings have been doing ever since. Well, Samuel, you got to understand something. I wanted to do everything God told me to do. But the people, the people, they didn't want me to kill all these animals. It's the people's fault. So I'm going to blame the people for why I was disobedient. I'm going to blame the people for why I didn't carry out 100% of what God told me to do. It's somebody else's fault. It's the people. And you see, ultimately, that was blaming Samuel, who had anointed him to be the king of the people. And it was blaming God because God had called him to lead the people. So if God hadn't called him to lead the people, and if Samuel hadn't anointed him to be the king of the people, then he wouldn't have disobeyed. But his disobedience was all because of the people. And folks, when you and I don't follow through on what God tells us to do, when we give God that partial obedience, the first thing that happens is that in the presence of the Lord, our disobedience comes up to Him. God can't hear us for all of the disobedience that is around us. We've gone off and done our own thing in our own way. We've given God 50% instead of 100%. And that disobedience is just radiating in the ears of God. It's bleeding in the ears of God. It's lowing like those oxen were in the ears of God. And God says, I can't hear you because all your disobedience is just radiating and coming back to me. And when we don't follow through, when we're not totally obedient to the Lord... God looks at us and he says, you know, why are you disobedient? And what do we normally do with God? We start blaming things in our lives. Well, Lord, I could have been obedient if this hadn't happened. God, I could have been obedient, but you didn't provide like you were supposed to. God, I could have been obedient, but, but, but. And we give God all these reasons and we end up nine times out of ten blaming somebody else or blaming something else instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. You see, Saul's lack of leadership, his refusal to lead his people in total obedience helped to set the tone for his people to be disobedient. While he blamed the people, what in reality had happened is as the people watched Saul get the victory in battle, they then watched Saul go over to King Ahab and said, I think I'll, you know, you're a king like I am. And you seem to be a nice person. I think we can hang out with each other. And I don't know that God really knows what he's talking about by telling me I'm supposed to take your life. So, Ahag, just come on here. We'll hang out together. And then they washed him with the sheep and oxen. See, one of the people that went out and got the sheep and oxen first, it was Saul who pulled that one because he was the one who had the authority to do it. And so they watched their king go out here and start taking the best. And they started following their leader in that. And then Saul knew that the people probably looked at those sheep and oxen and thought, man, I'd like to have them on my farm. I'd like to have them work for me, etc. And so they began to watch their king and then they begin to maybe put some pressure on their king and what did he do with the pressure he just collapsed to the pressure and probably thought you know something if I go out here and I don't kill these sheep and oxen I just give them to the people they're going to really love me and I'm going to really be popular 
my monument will really get visited to myself because I have appeased them. Samuel Chard, who is a writer on leadership, says, if you're not hurting, you're not leading. If you're not hurting, you're not leading. And what he means by that is simply this. When you lead, sooner or later, you're going to hurt. If you truly lead, sooner or later, you're going to hurt. You have to lean into the hurt of leadership. Because when you lead, sooner or later, you're going to be unpopular. When you lead, people are going to look at you that you're leading and say, I don't understand your leadership. I don't understand why it's got to hurt like this. And you're going to hurt as a leader. And Sam, Saul was not willing to hurt as a leader. He wanted to be popular. He wanted to be accepted. And folks, usually what compromises our obedience is our thirst for popularity and acceptance. I give God half and then I use the other half for my advantage. Notice the full obedience. The Lord requires full obedience. Comes to Saul. Samuel comes to Saul and he says, Saul... God did not ask for those sacrifices that you say you want to give him. Samuel, Saul says, you know, well, we're going to use these animals as a sacrifice to the Lord, which was probably just fiction, but it sounded so good. We're going to use these as a sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel says, God didn't ask for that. Don't give God what he doesn't ask for. Give God what he asked for. And Samuel says, God didn't ask for that. What he's asked for and what he requires of you is total obedience. He told you to get rid of all of it. And you kept about half of it because it looked good to you. And folks, when the Lord comes to us and he tells us and he pinpoints things in our lives and he says, you need to get rid of that and you need to give that up and we don't. We are holding on to partial disobedience to Him. And if we don't get rid of what God's told us to get rid of in our lives, it's going to take us out and take us down. My mother used to tell me when I was a kid, if you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. If you give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. And folks, if you and I give the devil an inch in our lives, he will find a way to take a mile. If we give him an inch in our family, he will find a way to take a mile. All he needs to do is get his foot in the door, and he's going to knock a door down, and then he's going to come right on in, and before we know it, he's taken over everything. And he will not cohabitate with Jesus in the same room. Jesus will not cohabitate with him in the same room. And the two of them aren't going to hang out in our lives at the same time. And what Saul was doing here, he gave the devil an inch, and the devil took a mile in his life. What was Saul and the people guilty of? We talked about the Ten Commandments the last few weeks from Exodus chapter 20, and how that's the standard that God has for us. I want to review quickly the commandments that Saul broke. Number one, you shall not lie. Stands right in front of Samuel with oxen behind him and sheep behind him and Ahab running around in the background. And he says, oh, I did everything God told me to do. 
I was totally obedient. And Samuel says, what are you talking about? You are lying through your teeth. You're a crazy man. You've been so dis... You're, you're disobedience. I can hardly hear you talking for all these animals, Lowen. You're lying. Number two, you shall not covet. You see, what happened with Saul was Saul got to looking at those oxen and those sheep and he got to looking at them and he got transfigured with them and he held them closer to him than he held the commands of God. And please follow me on this. The lowing of the sheep and the oxen became more precious and important to him than the voice of God was precious to him. And in our culture today, so often what pulls us in is materialism. I don't really need to serve Jesus so intensely because it's more important. I get this and I have this. How many times do people decide I don't need to read my Bible as much and pray as much because I need to spend more time getting stuff. I don't really need to come to church because I need to spend more time out on Sundays doing the stuff that I enjoy and that's going to fulfill my life because worshiping the Lord really isn't going to fulfill my life. Whenever we hold anything to us that becomes closer to us than Jesus, we are going to get in trouble. Whatever it is, whatever becomes more precious to us, more important to us, and gets in between us and Jesus, gets us in trouble. Now, folks, one of the things that so often I think Christians in the United States struggle with is we want to hold comfort to us closer than Jesus. That being comfortable and being safe and having a a nice, comfortable walk through life becomes more significant and important to us than serving the Lord Jesus Christ does. And that becomes an idol. You shall not cover. That takes us to the next command they broke. You shall have no other gods before me. The sheep, the oxen, the king, the the popularity, the acceptance of the crowd became his God. And then the final commandment he broke. You shall not set up a false image of God. And how in the world did he break that one? Very simple. Saul created in his mind an image of God that tolerated his disobedience. Saul set up an image of God that basically said, If you disobey me, no big deal. God doesn't care. He'll let you get away with it. That was a false image of God. And notice verse 23, some tough words there. Rebellion is as the sin of of witchcraft, divination. And presumption or arrogance is as iniquity to twist and bend something and idolatry. That is tough. Samuel, the prophet of God, looks at Saul and he said, Saul, your rebellion is just like if you had gotten involved in witchcraft and the occult. Your arrogance is like you taking the word of God and twisted it for yourself and worshipped a false idol. Now how in the world can rebellion and arrogance be equal to witchcraft and idolatry? 
Because you see, there's a lot of folks and a lot of times in life that we rebel against God and we go out and we do our own thing in our own way, but we would never consider getting involved in the occult. We would never consider getting involved in witchcraft, but Samuel is saying right here, your rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft. First of all, rebellion and arrogance focus on self, not on the Lord. And so does witchcraft and idolatry. Second, witchcraft and idolatry reject God's word, and so does rebellion and arrogance. When I rebel against God, when I'm arrogant before Him, what I am saying to Him is I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing, my partial obedience to Him is my way of saying I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing, and that's exactly what witchcraft does. I'm going to follow Satan, I'm going to go in His way, I'm not going to follow the Lord and go His way. And rebellion and arrogance are like witchcraft and idolatry in that both of them take us into the place of darkness. We move from the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. We move from a place of liberation in Christ to a place of bondage in Satan. And you see, when the devil comes to us and he tempts us in rebellion, and I call this soft rebellion. Soft rebellion is different from hard rebellion. Hard rebellion is when I just basically get in God's face and say, I'm going to go do my thing, my way, on my schedule, God, and I don't give a flip what you say. Soft rebellion is when I go before the Lord and I say, well, God, I know you want this, but I'm just going to give you a little bit. God, I know you require this, but I'm not going to give you all that you require. God, I know you're asking this of me, but I don't want to just give you all of that. Or God, I would do this, but I'm too scared to do it. Or I think I'm too inadequate to do it. Lord, I'd move out here, but I just don't think I can trust your provision. I just don't think I can follow through in your call. I don't think, I'm just not really sure, God, you're going to come through. So God, I'm going to be nice about this, and I continue to be a wonderful Christian. But I know, and you know, deep in my heart, I'm just going to give you, I'm not giving you everything, God, you're asking for. That's soft rebellion. But see, folks, the soft rebellion takes us into the place of Satan's power. Because Satan gets a little foot in the door with that disobedience. And then we give a little bit more disobedience, a little bit more disobedience. And before we know it, it's eating our lunch. God says, listen to me and obey everything that I'm telling you. Now, the opposite, polar opposite of Saul was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the crucifixion. I don't want to retell that story, but I want you to follow me very closely as I retell it. Jesus knew that he was moving to the cross. Jesus knew that full obedience was going to take him to the cross. He knew of the agony of crucifixion, but he also knew that full obedience was going to mean separation from the Father and taking on the sins of the world. And so when he gets to Gethsemane and he realizes and he's processing and he is listening to God about what is ahead for him. He doesn't just step out there and say, okay, let's get on with Good Friday, I'm ready to go. 
He goes deep into that garden and he separates himself from his inner core of disciples, Peter, James, and John. It says that he falls on his face before the Father and he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, he begins to agonize. And as he begins to agonize, the capillaries in his forehead begin to break down and blood begins to ooze out of his face. And if you to watch that prayer session that Jesus was having with the Father back Inside Gethsemane that night, it was not a pretty sight. You would have heard crying and sobbing and you would have seen agony and struggle and sweat and blood. Hour after hour. And finally Jesus says, not at first, but finally Jesus says, not my will, but God, your will be done. You know, I've had people through the years that said, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I don't know all the right words. I don't know all the fancy words. I don't know all the right theology. Listen, if you and I could get that one prayer down, that'd make up for everything else. If we could just learn to say to the Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's not fancy. It's obedience, and it gets us there. But you don't get there easy. None of us do. If Jesus didn't get there easy, we will not get there quickly or easily. Father, not my will, but God, your will be done. I know this is for your good. I know, God, this is for your glory. And I know, Father, this is what will save the people. And periodically, folks, in our lives, we have to come to the Lord And we have to be willing to say to him, and we're only going to get there after we agonize in prayer. It ain't going to be some fast food type of prayer that's going to get us there. we got to be willing to agonize before him in prayer and say, Father, not what I want, but what you want be done. All of what you want be done. Let's pray. Lord, heads bowed and our eyes closed. Is there a place in your life, my life today, of partial obedience? Where we say, God, I'll give you this sin, this sin, this sin, but God, I'm going to hold on to this particular sin. I won't do this, that, and the other, but Lord, uh, my thought life... um, going to keep that to myself is there a place that God's calling you to serve him in a, in a manner in which God's calling you to serve him and you're holding back and saying Lord uh, I just don't know if I can trust you with that I remember when I was a teenager, we used to sing a hymn that had a verse in it that said, Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. But I remember when we used to sing that hymn, I'd about get wood in my fingernails holding on to the pew because I wasn't really too willing at that point to go wherever he leads. I had to come to that place to trust Him. 
Some of you listening to me be saying, you know, I'm willing to be uh, to go to church from time to time, and I'm willing to do the the church type stuff. But I'm just don't know that I'm at a place that I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and follow Him. But that's what He asks for. That's what He requires. He's not interested in religious people. He is interested in followers of Him. Just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus and become a follower of Him and walk away from whatever He's requiring of you to walk away from and walk with Him in the journey that He's got for you. I invite you to do that. Come as we sing, and I'd love to pray with you about giving your life to Jesus. And following him and walking with him. If you're here and you need to surrender something to the Lord as we sing, I encourage you to do that. You sense that God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to come and be part of this church and serve the Lord here with these folks. Then I invite you to come. Whatever it is that we walked in here with that Jesus is saying you're holding and you need to give it to me, I want to encourage as we sing to picture yourself giving it to Jesus. Knowing that he has already given everything for us. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, we respond to you now in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, come with you. Will.